Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 117 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we did a special technology conundrums show in tribute to one of the podcasts that inspired our podcast, Slate's Political Gap Fest. In this episode, we revisit legal technology in 2013 by dipping into a big batch of questions we've gotten over the year and a few we wish that people would have asked us. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, in this year-end edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we'll be answering questions, or I guess at least trying to answer them. In our second segment, we'll ask each other some uh, unrehearsed, unplanned questions and see what answers we get. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our main topic, our 2013 end-of-the-year Q&A. The rules of this game, I think, are pretty simple. Uh, We take a question. We each try to answer it. If we have an answer, we give one, and otherwise, we move on to the next question. We've got a lot of questions to cover here, so uh, let's get started. Dennis, do you have uh, anything to add, or do you want to uh, ask the first question? I'll ask the first one, and it's this. Will the ABA's inclusion of technology knowledge as part of the definition of competence in the ethical rules lead to a really big change in lawyer behavior? I think the answer is I'm going to give a typical lawyer an answer and say it depends. I think it depends on whether and then I guess on also how uh, it gets enforced. If it's a, a rule without teeth, if it doesn't get enforced, then I don't think there's much incentive for lawyers to make any changes to it. But I think that if we start to see bar associations, if we start to see lawyers getting in trouble uh, with their clients because they have failed to appropriately use technology in their practice, and I think that happens from time to time. If we see a bar association start to enforce that, then I really think that it has the potential to to take off and, uh, and have some teeth. I say long-term yes, short-term no. All right. Short and sweet. All right. Here's the next question. Dennis, I guess this is a personal question to you, maybe. Are you ever going to really try Google Plus? You know, I sort of feel like I have tried Google Plus, and this is one thing that people always seem to ask me, and the people who do use Google Plus, and they talk about, oh, there's all this engagement, and, you know, Google Plus is a place you should be, and I try some things, and basically, I get knowing engagement, but I'm going to experiment a little bit. I think it's uh, potentially a place to do something for uh, the new LinkedIn book, and it may be something I experiment, and we sort of see people moving away from some of the other social media platforms. So Google Plus might be something I I try a little bit more, but so far the experiment's been pretty disappointing. You know, now that I have an Android phone, I find that I am much more plugged into the Google Plus world. Google basically forces you to have a Google Plus account to do anything on Google for the most part. And so it's it's a lot easier for me to get involved. And so I'm starting to use it more often. I will say that making use of their photos and their albums has been a joy because they bought Picasa a long time ago and incorporated that into their tool. And, and I think that Google Plus's photos may be among the best photo management systems out there right now. 
Next up, I'm hearing that so many things are done or over. Facebook, Twitter, hashtags, you name it. I'm, I'm better off just sitting most of these new things out because they are over and done with so quickly. Okay, I'm going to give this question a non-answer and say, don't you really think that something like this is just a function of bloggers and journalists stirring up speculation to draw people to their blog or draw people to their article or their magazine or whatever? You know, we see these articles about how something is dead. How many times a year do we see is blogging dead? You keep saying is email dead, and I suspect that's because you want to get people to listen to our podcast. I, You know, you'll know it's dead when the statistics say that nobody's using it anymore. I mean, MySpace is dead. It's a wasteland, and hardly anybody's using it anymore, but but we didn't need articles to tell us it actually happened. Well, I think that, for me, the thing is that I think there's reason for you not to try everything, but I don't think it's a reason to try nothing. So I think that my answer to this is you need to kind of pick the things that suit you best and probably just pick one or two of those. Next up. Oh, that's oh, oh, my question. No, it's my question, Dennis. Can you tell us more about what you do in your day job? I get this question from time to time, and, and I think you do as well, Tom, because people kind of see us in, in sort of our internet persona and the podcast and all, and people kind of either forget what it is we do or want to know more about it. So, you know, I'm in-house counsel at uh, MasterCard, and I focus on information technology law, and people sometimes want to find out more detail about what I do, but I work in an industry where you don't really reveal much. So uh, that's that's kind of what I do in my day job. Well, that's a great answer there, Dennis. I, uh, I'll answer the question too, but usually the question to me comes to, uh, it's more of a question that says, so what do you do is more like the question that I get. And uh, I work uh, as a senior consultant for a company called Contoral. We help companies develop information governance programs, records management, electronic discovery, sensitive information protection. I work a lot with in-house uh, legal departments to help set up these programs and manage them and uh, and make them very successful. So what technology do you wish you would have implemented in 2013? And conversely, what technology did you implement that you wish you hadn't bothered with? Well, I'm going to give a specific answer to the first and a, and a general answer to the second. The specific technology that I wish I could have implemented is the one that we've been using here and you, Dennis, mentioned in the last podcast and you've been using, and that's the transporter. I uh, I have one. I've tried to set aside time to set it up, and I've just been so busy that I have not had the time to actually plug it into my computer and make it work. So I regret that, and that is a goal of mine for the holidays is to get that set up and working. As far as technology, uh, technology that I implemented that I wish I hadn't bothered with. I haven't don't really have any any hardware, but I would say that there are a number of apps that I really want to like, but I just can't. I keep installing them on my either my phone or on my iPad because I hear they're popular and I read another article about how to use them and and there's just, you know, there's a couple of them. I won't mention names because they're just too many to mention and I I read an article and it convinces me, "Oh yeah, you may need to try this." And then I try it again and I still don't like it. So, uh I think that's the way of apps. There's just a lot of apps out there like that that you either like or you don't like. Yeah, for me, the ones I wish I would have either done or done better are Apple TV and, and Evernote this year. And uh, I don't, 2013 was kind of a lucky year for me because I don't, I don't think I really uh, pushed into something new that I, I wish I wouldn't have tried. All right, this is a question only for you, Dennis. I don't get to answer this. Dennis, Dennis has referred to the Samsung Galaxy S4 as, quote, a great work phone. But he also says... 
That's not a negative comment. Dennis, can you explain that? Because it seems kind of like a negative comment. You know, I have gotten this question, and I think if you, from my point of view, I wasn't sort of looking at it in sort of on its own. So I was talking about the situation where you know that you're going to have two smartphones. One of them is going to be a personal phone, and one of them is going to be a work phone. And for me, my feeling was that that Samsung S4 is a great work phone partly because the Google stuff that I like, the voice, it does well. It's, it's kind of interesting. The apps are sort of, you know, sort of feel more work-like. And a lot of the approach of the phone feels more like a work phone-like. It sometimes feels a little more BlackBerry-ish in the positive sense of that. And then I sort of feel like on the personal side, the iPhone just fits who I am. So somebody else could go the flip of that. But that's what I mean. So that sort of specific situation where you know you're going to have two phones, and so one can be the work phone and one the personal, I think that the S4 uh, does a really nice job as the work phone. I still have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Tom, what tech question do you dread getting when you're out presenting on all the things you present on? You know, I thought about this, and actually the question was, what tech question do you dread getting? Not necessarily um, when you're out presenting. So I'm going to answer this uh, in, in generalities and say that there's really no specific tech question that I dread getting. The type of question that I hate the most is, and it happens a whole lot more than I want it to happen, are um, people who have a specific technology issue issue they want to solve, whether it's their iPad, whether it's email, whether it's something else, and they're looking for a solution that either doesn't exist or there's really no good answer. They've tried everything and they've gotten to the end of the road and there's really nothing I can do to help them. It's very frustrating to not be able to help somebody with a particular tech problem. And I think that usually is the question that I dread getting the most. For me, it's long been and probably always will be, why can't I get this document to print? <laughs> and geez, so, you don't have a good answer for that? <laughs> you no, know, it's, it's a mystery. Although I actually have a colleague I, I call a printer whisperer, and they're sort of a rare breed who can always kind of get things to print when nobody else can. So if you ever run into those people, you want to make friends with them and make them your friend who to help you out. But Well, when it comes to, uh, I mean, that sounds kind of like a, a bizarre question that you should be asked. So maybe the next question will kind of go along with that. And what is the strangest lawyers using technology story that you've heard this year? Well, actually, this is my favorite story that involves technology this year. I was in a session where the topic was sort of data security and confidentiality, and the presenter was kind of talking about all the horrible things that could happen if you didn't take care and protect yourself. And there was a lawyer in the room who held up his hand and said, why do we have to do this? Why can't we go back to the good old first-class mail in an envelope when things were good and safe. And he was so utterly sincere and, you know, sort of mourning the golden days. And it's just my absolute favorite, you know, strange technology story of the day. Because if you applied the same standards we're applying to cloud computing and stuff like that to the paper envelope being dropped in a mailbox and, you know, paper that can get wet and burn and all of that, I don't think we'd ever be allowed to send things through the mail. But it was kind of interesting to, to hear somebody so passionately, you know, mourn the loss of the days of first class mail. 
My strangest technology story actually didn't come from a lawyer, but it struck me so much that I, I want to mention it is uh, talking with the employees of one of the companies I work with, we sent a survey out and asked them, where do you store records? Where do you keep the records that you create? And the only answer that she put on her survey was email. And I go, well, surely she had an incomplete answer to that. And I was talking to her and she goes, oh, no, I, I keep my records only in email. Whenever I create a Word document, I will email it to myself and, and then I will delete the Word document or the Excel spreadsheet. And I will only keep all of that in my email because that's the only place that I can ever find anything. And so I'm storing every single document that I've ever created in email and it's no place else. And I was happy to tell the client that this was an outlier, but it was certainly the strangest document retention strategy that I've come across in a long time. Hey, do you want to do the next one or do you want to skip it since our parting shots kind of address this topic? What do you think? Actually, ask me the question because I've got a separate answer for that. Okay, great. So what books, technology or otherwise, did you read this year that you liked and would recommend? So clearly we're, uh, we're showing that we're going to talk about books in our parting shots, but I'm going to actually talk about one that, that we won't be mentioning. I read a book this past year called Kill Decision. It's by an author named Daniel Suarez, and Daniel uh, is a techie, and he's written a number of technology-related books that are kind of uh, taking things to the extreme in the, in the near future of what people can do with technology. And Kill Decision is uh, based on uh, some faceless, unseen enemy that's able to create autonomous drones and, and make them work like swarms to cause significant damage to people. And I think the things that he thinks about with respect to technology are really kind of scary and interesting at the same time. I'm, I kind of like the thriller like that. So it's a, definitely a good, fast, but non-serious read. You know what's funny is I read that book too and I hated it. I like the ideas in it. And actually the ideas are timely in a lot of ways, but I just really didn't enjoy the the reading experience. In fact, I almost stopped reading the book at several points. But the fundamental idea, you know, with the, the drones and, and that sort of thing is I think a really interesting one. It just It just didn't work for me. So next question up here is, and I'm skipping down a couple questions here, and I'm going to ask for... Uh, What's your next tech purchase? What tech are you planning to buy next? Um, you know, this kind of relates back to the dreaded printer question. I had a uh, inkjet printer go out on me, and so I, I think I'm going to be buying a, actually a cheap uh, laser jet uh, printer to take the place of the all-in-one inkjet printer I had because I want something that's a workhorse, and the other laser printer I have wasn't designed to be used with a Mac. And since my daughter's living at home and she has the all-in-one inkjet, color inkjet, I think a new uh, cheap laser printer is the, my next tech purchase. Looks like my next tech purchase actually is going to be a new home computer. I uh, am apparently one of the few people left in the country who has a desktop Windows computer, and it's about three years old, and it's about time for something new, and I have to go through my regular confusion and dilemma over whether I'm going to switch to the Mac or stick with a PC. So that's what I'm looking forward to tormenting myself about in the coming months. Yeah, I think you are the last one looking to buy a desktop computer. Pretty much. So, Tom, if you could do a presentation on any topic you wanted, what would that topic be? 
Well, you know, I have to say that the topics that I've been speaking on lately are of a lot of interest to me. And so I, I this is a cop-out answer, but I really, I really enjoy talking about the iPad. It's something that I know a lot about and people have interest in and the audiences are enthusiastic. And so I, I think that's kind of a combination that makes it for a pleasurable speaking experience. I also have been talking a lot with lawyers about the topic we discussed very first in the first question on the ethical consequences of not understanding the technology technology you use to represent your clients. And I have to say, I have a good time with that topic too. Those are right now kind of my two favorite topics that I like to talk to you about right now. Yeah, I like that ethics one. I think that would be a fun one to do. So I also have two that I really like. And I actually had a chance to speak up in Minnesota this summer. I had a great time doing this. And I really enjoy these days talking about digital estate planning. But the one I really liked and I broke in for this conference as a keynote was putting uh, legal technology in the jobs to be done framework. It was the first chance I had to do that and do it as a presentation. And, you know, Tom, obviously I love that jobs to be done framework. And that was a really fun, well-received presentation to do. So if you're going to give that presentation again or any other presentation, uh, did you learn any new tips for giving presentations that year that you'd like to share? No, actually, in that presentation, I had one. So my tip is always that you have to expect something to go wrong, no matter what you're doing, and be comfortable about that and sort of look for it to happen and, and sort of add it to your bag of tricks. And so when I was doing that one, I was all set up, everything was ready to go, and I had that presenter view with my notes, and you can see the you know, the next slide up on the screen and the timer and everything is there. And the AV guy said, oh, so the way we're set up is your laptop needs to be at the back of this gigantic room where it would be attached to the projector. <laughs> and I was like, of course. Oh, my God. And so we figured out this workaround where basically I was using this remote to go to his laptop, clear at the back of the room, and also flipping my own presentation forward, you know, one slide at a time, trying to do that in a seamless way. But so I definitely learned something there. But it, it is interesting to me how it's, I just like to see like what new weird little problem will come up. And every time you realize that something is going to happen like that and you're in the right frame of mind, it sort of makes it easier for you to roll with the punches on those things. You know, and I, I will add on to that tip by saying um, when you are presenting with technology, when you're even there just to set up your iPad or your laptop, get there early. I have found that getting there 30 to 45 minutes ahead of time so that you can set everything up, test it out, address any problems that come up, because like Dennis said, there will be problems that come up. Having that done ahead of time so that you can then breathe easy is incredibly invaluable because there's absolutely nothing worse for a presentation than sweating right before you get ready to start and being out of breath and being stressed and being nervous and then having to go immediately on and giving a presentation. So uh, save yourself all that hassle and get there early and solve your problems ahead of time. What's the current state of e-discovery, Tom? You know, I think that right now, uh, e-discovery, in my opinion, is sort of in a state of stasis. It's it's kind of holding steady. I think that on the technology front, I think that you're seeing that predictive coding, or are we going to call it technology-assisted review or computer-assisted review or whatever we want to call it, using technology to examine large volumes of data and make it easier to search, make it easier to produce documents in, in discovery. It's finally reached a good level of acceptance in the courts. It's something that many parties are doing 
and they're doing successfully and they are it's helping them manage the volume of data in litigation i think we're sort of at that stage where it's it's beginning to get that mainstream acceptance to where it's not so controversial and and it doesn't matter it's not going to shock people if judges order it or uh, people are using it so on the technology side i think we're just sort of holding strong and seeing where that all takes us uh, i think we're also holding to wait and see what happens with the new rule changes there are new proposed rule changes on proportionality and on sanctions on preservation and i think we're we're still in the comment period right now and it's interesting to see what comes out of that comment period and whether or not it's going to change the rules any and whether they're going to do anything so we're kind of waiting for that too and uh, I'm looking forward to that happening it'll be early next year when the comment period ends and we start to really talk about what the rules are going to look like next year yeah I ran into uh, I was talking to some lawyers the other night about e-discovery my sense was it was interesting to me because I had the feeling that e-discovery in its sort of the basic form is way more common and routine than uh, it used to be even a few years ago. But as you start to approach the more complex issues and things beyond email, it seems like there's still a lot of hesitation of uh, on the part of, of at least the, the lawyers I was talking to and their assessment of what was going to move into those more complex areas. One more time. One more question. Here we go. Let's pull it out with something that we both would probably want to answer. What are your best tips for someone who wants to start a podcast? Well, I, I, you know, I'm not going to. Well, I'm going to go ahead and, and say, you know, if you can hook up with somebody like Legal Talk Network, I mean, that is the best tip to have producers. But I sort of think it does go back to you know listening to podcasts, deciding this is a medium you want to get into, and then kind of studying what it is that you like, finding some podcasts to model on, and then figuring out what you can do to have a pretty high quality arrangement. You know, have a nice microphone. That's sort of thing have a format and also i think the big thing for me uh time and when i talk to people who are, are planning to do a podcast i say can you think of it in terms of a show if you think of it as a show that has a format then i think you're going to do well with the podcast you know, it's funny because Dennis and I didn't prepare for this together, but yet on my notes, it says I have two things as far as advice is concerned. And that's one, listen to other podcasts to see what works and what doesn't. And two, have professional equipment. So uh, I won't uh, belabor the points anymore. Dennis said them very well. Uh, I think that does it for this part of the question and answers. Let's uh, move on to our next segment. But before we do that, let's uh, take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Tom has let me get away with including some really off-the-beaten-path topics in 
2013, and I've convinced him to try one more wacky idea in this segment. We each get to ask each other two tech-related questions that the other does not know in advance and see how we answer. We flipped a coin, and I get to ask the first question to Tom, which means he gets to ask me the last question. So I'm taking a little bit of risk here. So, Tom, here's the question. In your career, in sort of the recent part of it, you've been a practicing lawyer. You moved into kind of legal tech, lit support, e-discovery, now records management. I think that's a really interesting career path, one that people are looking into and one that may become more common. So what sort of one or two pieces of advice would you give people who are considering that route? And I guess I would want to ask more questions to you about what route do you mean? Because I don't know that my route turned out to be, I think the first part turned out to be somewhat common. I think that that lawyers who have an interest in technology tend to find themselves moving towards e-discovery. And I wound up getting kind of detoured into records management by just a matter of chance. But as far as, let's see, as far as advice is concerned, I mean, I think there's really two things that you should do, which is if you have an interest in, in legal technology, and you want to get involved in e-discovery, information governance, if you want to go to those routes, start getting educated on it. Join the right organizations. Uh, Look at ARMA, look at AIM, A-I-I-M, look at the Sedona Conference, look at edrm.net, read the blogs that people are putting out on e-discovery. There's several blogs that are out there, both by vendors and by uh, by lawyers who do discovery they're all really good to start understanding what's going on and what's accepted in the industry there are a number of companies that do these types of things become familiar with them and follow them and check up with them on LinkedIn and see who works for them and uh, who's involved with the companies and maybe who they're working with and I think that once you get an idea of what the nature of the industry is like then start reaching out to people. Reach out to me, reach out to others that you might know and and learn more about it and try and figure out whether it it makes sense for you. You know, for a B segment, that's about as good an answer as I'm going to give you for that question right now. So when Dennis proposed this idea, I I can't say that I've come up with uh, tremendously creative ideas, but here's one. And I'm going to say, Dennis Dennis indicated earlier in the podcast that uh, he works for a company that he can't talk a lot about or what he does. But I'm going to push him on that. And I'm going to say, Dennis, like many companies, like many corporations, yours is certainly not the only one, but you are prohibited from using a lot of really helpful technologies in the workplace. Your company doesn't allow you to use certain technologies, and that is certainly not unusual for the companies that I work with. So here's my question for you. Of all the tools that you cannot use at work, which one do you miss the most? No comment. (laughs) This sort of really goes back to my roots, Tom, is that I would like to go back and really, uh, and this is something that, you know, is is potential. It's not, I wouldn't say this is prohibited. It's just not using it. And that's document assembly. I just see more and more things where that is part of a solution and can really kind of make things more efficient and uh, really help, you know, my clients, which are people in the business, accomplish some things and and make it easier for me to generate the documents and provide a higher level of legal advice. So I would say that's, and that goes back, you know, for me to, to what I was doing, God, I don't know, it's it's 20, 25 years ago with document assembly. And so I, I just feel like I've come around full circle to that. So, you know, I'm still not going into a lot of detail, obviously, Tom, but that was my initial reaction to your question. 
And the one I have for you, Tom, is I want to pick up a little free consulting advice from you. And that is that there's probably nobody who is more familiar with how I use technology than you are. So what are the two or three things that you'd either want to see me try or think I should try, I would say, other than writing another book that you'd like to see me try to do with technology in the coming year? Wow. The one that immediately comes to mind is to take that Samsung S4 that you call a work phone and learn how to, to the extent that you're able to, to the extent that the company doesn't disable the device for you, learn how to uh, put a launcher on it and learn how to create your own themes or to trick it out in ways that you can't do with the iPhone and to make it into more of a personal device for you rather than a work phone. Because I will confess that uh, it has... I won't say that it has defeated me, but it has really provided me with some very interesting times trying to uh, to customize an Android device. And there are ways that you can do it that you can't really do with an iPhone. So I think that's my first one. I think my second one is I'll cop out and I'll say, come back to Evernote. You keep talking about using Evernote and you still haven't done it. And I continue to find new ways to like Evernote. I will tell you that right now, the Evernote Clipper is just awesome. They've just created the best clipper now to where you can uh, take a screenshot of a, a web page in just about any format and now that they've partnered up with the Skitch markup tool you can actually take a screenshot and then mark up the screenshot right there in your web browser and save it to your Evernote page really awesome stuff that they're doing I just signed up with a little tool that they have where if you're using Evernote and you create to-do list within Evernote but you also happen to use to-do programs like Remember the Milk or some of the other more familiar to do programs, it will automatically transfer those to-dos into tasks to that area. So I say Evernote and learn more about Android. Those are my two, uh, two suggestions for you. And uh, believe it or not, Dennis has actually, <laughs> has actually in his question for me, sort of uh, anticipated my question for him. And so I'm just going to ask him, Dennis, collaboration tools have changed incredibly since 2008. Do you think it's about time to write a new edition of the collaboration book? Um, Tom, you know what my answer to this is. Yeah, it does feel like it's time, but boy, I just don't know about writing another book. But I I think it's getting darn close to the point where it is because so much has changed and there is that the social media aspect that really wasn't present when we wrote the first book and some people may not think as part of collaboration tools at the moment i think there's some really interesting ground there and it'd be nice to i think a lot of the ideas in that book are still really good and really solid they just need to kind of be updated to current tools a little bit so I don't know. You know, the thing always I always say with getting me to write another book is if you can convince my <laughs> wife, then it becomes a possibility. All right. I have a verbal <laughs> recorded commitment. <laughs> but I don't know. Writing books just takes a lot, takes a lot out of me. And, it and, does. And so, well, Tom, it's, I think it's time for parting shots. It is. That one tip, website, or observation you can use the second the podcast ends. 
Tom, take it away. Well, I think we're both talking about books in our parting shots. I just finished a book the past week that I thought was really interesting. It's called The Power of Habit. Uh, it's by a reporter. It's not by a, an expert on the subject other than the fact that he is reporting on it. And, and what he's done is he has taken some case studies about how habits can be formed, how people can have their behavior modified by habits, how habits can be changed, how people can stop destructive behavior by just changing part of their routine, even though a habit it becomes ingrained. I found it very interesting to see not only some of the case studies of what has gone on in the past and what people think about habits, but uh, but how the author kind of relates that to how individuals can change habits or modify habits. It's not really a self-help book or a to-do book, but I still found a lot of good takeaways from it. It's called The Power of Habit, and it's by Charles Duhigg, D-U-H-I-G-G. Yeah, I really like that book, too. I, I think it's a book that you can kind of take and apply it in a, a practical way if you want. I mean, I, you can read it and just learn what he's saying, but I think it's one that you can a- apply. And that relates to the one that I'm going to mention, which is, and I think this is uh, the new book from uh, authors that you really like, Tom. So this is uh, Chip Heath and Dan Heath. Yep, and their much. new book is called Decisive. And I just finished it. I really like it. It it's really focuses on decision-making and the practicalities of decision-making. Gives you a framework uh, for making decisions. A lot of good ideas. And it's the type of book, when I finished it, I said, this is what I need to work on next year. If I can kind of use this framework and kind of learn it and adapt it to what I'm doing, then when Tom asked me whether I want to write a new, you know, do a new edition of the book, I will have a framework to say, okay, here's how I can make that decision in a good way. So um, really like that that book. And I know, Tom, I, I think you like their the earlier book called Switch uh, that yep. you've mentioned before. But Decisive, um, just as a framework for decision making, something we all face, um, just very practical and, and just a very interesting, interesting book. Well, two good books to start off your New Year's resolutions right. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. Uh, you can get to archives of all of our previous podcasts in both places as well. If you have a technology conundrum uh, that's been bothering you or a question that you want answered, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at tkmreport. So uh, happy new year, everybody. And until we uh, see you at the next podcast in the new year, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Thanks for listening to us in 2013. And we look forward to a great 2014. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.